Welcome to JC family and thank you for tuning in or turning up and I really want to say for those who are on Facebook, um, thank you and if you're on YouTube, well you're not watching anything at the moment because YouTube hasn't gone live so if you're on YouTube, we should suggest you go to Facebook but I'm telling them that and they're obviously not going to see that message. So, so last week we started our new series, Communication, Connection and Christ and I shared with Romans 1.16, I'm going to share it again this morning. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Effectively, for everyone, for those who are called and appointed and anointed by God's promises, which was the tribe of Israel, and then for everybody else. When he said Greek, he actually didn't just mean Greeks. He meant everybody who wasn't a Jew. And so he said, I am not ashamed of this gospel. This gospel that we're presenting to you, I'm not ashamed of it. For it is the power of God unto salvation for every single person who ever believes. Whoever believes can inherit and walk in the power of salvation. I love the fact he said, I'm not ashamed. And as I was pondering this through the week, I thought, you know what? I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm proud to declare the gospel. I'm proud to stand here and say, I am totally unashamed of the gospel. But, it's like weird when you have a but at the end of that statement, isn't it? But, if I'm being honest, I'm not sure about you guys, but if I'm being honest, whilst I can 100% and confidently say I'm not ashamed of the gospel, there have been times, seasons, and moments where I have definitely been embarrassed and a little bit ashamed of the presentation of the gospel. I have had moments where I've watched the gospel be presented in such a way that you, anyone, I don't know if anyone else has ever been there, but you're in somebody's house and you're there and they're presenting the gospel and you're cringing on the inside. You are literally dying on the inside. You're thinking, please stop talking. Please stop talking. You are doing more harm than help right now because the way you're presenting it, it's not the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is fantastic. But boy, the way you're presenting it leaves so much to be desired. And so we were talking in the last week and this week about communication. And if we don't get this section right, if we don't understand how do I communicate how do I communicate in such a way that brings connection? How do I communicate in such a way that brings connection and ultimately gives me an opportunity to present the gospel in an unoffensive manner? I was pondering it through the week and how so often we think, our communication skills don't matter. How so often we think the communication is superfluous to the gospel because the gospel has all the power. The gospel is just the gospel and it doesn't matter how you present it. Nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, Joel says, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of of decision. Multi I believe that there are hundreds, thousands of people who have rejected not the gospel, not Jesus, but the presentation. 
who have rejected not the love, not the grace, not the compassion, not the mercy, but the legalistic dogma, not doctrine. Can I say that again? Not doctrine. You know the difference, right? Doctrine, healthy, good, safe, awesome. Dogma is how I determine to present that doctrine. Dogma is what I take and make my religious belief out of. There is thousands of poor dogmas and one effective doctrine. It's the doctrine, it's the gospel that has the power to save. The dogmas, everyone say it with me, dogmas are disgusting. (laughs) Many of them are. Dogmas are disgusting. Some people start a dogma because they think it will help, but the dogma takes the place of the doctrine. You you know, Jesus had that most, he he reserved his most scathing rebuke for the Pharisees and the Sadducees when he said, you hypocrites, you disgusting people, for you make the word of man as though it's the word of God and you diminish the word of God. And we find ourselves doing that. We present the word of man as though it's the word of God and we diminish the word of God. What I want to say is let's learn to communicate in such a way that we can bring connection, in such a way that we can present Christ effectively. This morning, that's what I'm going to talk about. I'm going to jump around a little bit this morning and I just realized that I've forgotten to do something really important. So I'm going to pause. In the middle of the message, I love the fact that we are not religious. And we're going to do something really cool. I'm going to ask Phoebe to please play the video that talks to everybody about our wonderful kids' ministry with sound. JC Family Church, and at the moment we have some exciting news. If you look around me, I'm standing in our very new building. Now we're actually relaunching this, and it's going to be officially open today. So how exciting is that, guys? Now there's going to be two different reasons why we're going to be the first one is for Gen Sunday. Gen Sunday is a day where the first week of every month we do church together with all kids in the house. Unfortunately, we're running out of bit of space. So what we actually have done is we've created a fantastic space for kids to be able to play um, with, with their friends but also in a safe environment while parents are actually able to still stream the service online without having to worry about any distractions in the service. The second reason why we're actually going to have this room available is for every other week of the month where we actually provide a program for kids aged two to five years old to come in and engage in worship, Bible stories and lots of fun activities to grow in their faith and so that we can raise the next generation for God's kingdom. So guys, if you're interested in rolling your kids into JC Juniors, come and say hello to me so that we can get that started. Yay! So that has now done. Our kids' ministry is now in two different locations. It's both up the top, and for the juniors, it's down the bottom. If you're a parent of younger children, you can sign your children in safely down the bottom. And if you're a parent of older children, you can sign them in up the top. And if you're not sure, just sign them in somewhere, and it'll figure it out. No, I'm just kidding. But I also want to do one more thing. Phoebe, can you please put it up there? This is my go-to this morning. Child number 43. Now, this is a test. So if you actually have 43, don't go. But should you see that? And who saw it through the worship? It was pretty cool. I was really excited. I'm not sure if it was real. I think she just put it up to show everyone. But should you see that at any time through the service, through the worship today, or any Sunday in the future, that's a sign that your child may need your attention. And so if you would quietly leave, do not, you do not need to go bingo, I win. Just (laughs) quietly leave. 
and collect your gift from one of the children's ministry areas. You have got a gift. It's going to be fantastic. Okay, moving on. Right. So are you ready? Here we go. So I'm going to come back to this because I want to build a church. I want to be a part. Let's be honest. Take a moment for all of those who are really religious. You know, Pastor Phil isn't building a church. He knows he's not building a church. Jesus is building the church. Pastor Phil is the pastor of the church to empower and encourage people to build in line with what Jesus wants to do within our lives. Everyone feel better about that? Just that way I don't have to get a little letter through the week, you know, like, Pastor Phil, you're not building the church. Anyway, moving on. Come on out. Just <laughs> Wow, I am really, uh, you know, just get on with it, Sam. Hey, that's what you're thinking, isn't it? Right? Okay. Come on, Josiah. So what we said last week was we talked to everybody really briefly about how and we communicate. And we said communication is a little bit like the ball game. And we gave you a number of illustrations. So we said, number one, it's like this and you don't want to do this. You, you know those people that you try to talk to and it's literally like pulling teeth. They bounce the ball. They're like, how are you? Good. Right? And we said, we don't want that. We don't want that. And I don't know if you were here last week, we also did this one, you know, when they bounce the ball and then you decide to make the ball all about you and how fantastic you are. I wish I was better at this. Whoa, see that? All right, stop. That wasn't that exciting. But, you know, or the things that I get impressed about, right? I'm actually surprised I didn't get a standing ovation from my son just then because, let's be honest, he's never seen his dad so coordinated in his entire life. So, you know. so we talk to thank you, Beck. I appreciate your support over there. But we talked about the people that then take the conversation and make it all about themselves. And we said, that's also something we don't want to see at JC. Then we talked about how we could have a nice conversation where it's just back and it's forth and it's healthy and it's great and we really like that. Can I just say, I loved last week how many people took on this concept. I love the fact that when I walked out on the deck, I walked up to a number of groups and the groups opened to allow me to be a part of it rather than staying closed and just excluding everybody else because, you know, you're important, I'm important, nobody else is important. That's a really unhealthy way. So I love the fact that we opened ourselves up and I just want to encourage you guys to continue to look for opportunities to open yourself up, to minister and to love other people. People are here to be loved and people are here to love you. Give people an opportunity to just love on you sometimes. We talked about how sometimes you bring people across who have their own agenda and while you're playing a ball game, they want to talk about their bikes and we want to say thank you to Rick for that wonderful opportunity. He's at a wedding today, so he's not here, so we can say whatever we want about him. Okay. <laughs> thank you, Josiah. Good job. Thank you, Dan. Give Dan a hand. You know, as I was pondering this through the week, though, <laughs> I, was, I was wondering how many of us could take that exact same illustration. How many people saw themselves in that illustration last week? How many people saw themselves in a really positive light? Now, put your hand up if you saw yourself in a positive light, like you're the one who opens it up and plays ball with everybody. How many people saw themselves in a negative light? Okay. How, how many people are scared to put their hand up and tell me anything? <laughs> Good job. Good job. I'm going to put the ball down, otherwise I'll continue playing with it for the entire sermon, and that's very distracting. As I was pondering through the week, I realised that so often, I'm not sure about you, you guys are probably holy, so it's more just me, but I realised how often I can do the same thing with God. 
I realised how often my devotions and my quiet time with God looks just like that. I realised how often I go to God and I feel like God's trying to get to, to talk to me about something, but I'm just distracted and I'm busy. And so when he's bouncing something to me that's significant and important, I've got so many other things going on, so many other balls in the air that I totally ignore the one that he's trying to communicate to me. Anyone ever had that experience? I'll give you the next one. We're just going to try and personalize it a bit. Anyone had the experience where they go to God and then, you know, they want to communicate with God and so they're just talking to God about all the fantastic things that they're doing and how amazing they are? And Anyone ever done that? Wait, anyone ever done that or is it just me? Like anyone gone to God with their shopping list and you sort of walk in and you go, amen, and you walk out. And I kind of get the feeling that God's there like, oh, I was... I had a couple of answers that you might want to, of, never mind, see you tomorrow, I guess, hope. Or, or you go to God and he wants to talk to you about your workplace or your behaviour within the marriage. That's what I'm praying for. And um, moving on. <laughs> but you want to talk to him about your money and your finances. Or he wants to talk to you about the money and finances and you want to talk to him about all the things your wife or husband did wrong. You ever had those moments where, where you're trying to talk this and God's trying to talk that? And so one of the things that I wanted to share with you this morning and one of the things I just wanted to unpack a little bit is how our communication with each other is, is so dictated and determined by our effective communication with him. In fact, can I sort of say that that my ability to communicate with you, my ability to communicate with my family, my wife, my people at work, more effectively, has far more to do with him than it does to do with me. And if we can understand that, then we will start to take communication with him so much more seriously. If you've got your scriptures this morning, I'd love you to turn with me. It's going to come up on the board, but I, I, I just sometimes think it would be good to turn in your Bibles and just to read the scripture, if you get a chance through the week to just to slow down and to read the scripture. But this morning, I'm going to read from Mark chapter 1, verse 32. And I want to look at the example that Jesus set and apply that same example to our life. I feel like Jesus is a pretty good example of communication. Would you? I feel like he's a pretty good example of presenting an effective gospel message. I feel like he's a pretty good example of connecting with humanity. And I wonder how he did it. And I wonder if we could learn what he did and apply it to our lives, if we could perhaps just improve how we do it. Would that be good? So this morning, if you t in your Bibles, I'm going to go to Mark 1.32. I love the Word of God. I love the fact that it doesn't matter how many times you've read it, it's new, it's fresh. And you can read these stories and read them and read them and read them. And every time it's new and it's fresh. It is like layer upon layer upon layer. Because it's a living word, it's like God breathes something new and he brings something new each time we read the scriptures. And so you might have read this a hundred times, but today I'm hoping that you'd have your hearts open and your mind open to hear not what Pastor Phil says, but what does the Spirit of God say to you? I love the way Steve Swenson put it many years ago. He said, I want to give you a message that has handles. I want to give you a message that when you walk out of here, you carry this with you. I don't want to give you a message that's too big to handle or too big to carry, and I don't want to give you something that's too big to apply. It could just be that I'm a simple person. 
But I want to give you a message that you can carry and apply to your life. And I want to look at the life of Jesus. And we read this in Mark 1.32. It says, At evening, when the sun had set... I'm just setting a picture here before we get to the primary verse. When the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. Can everyone say all? That's good. And the whole city, everyone say the whole. The whole city was gathered together at the door and then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons and he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. Now, if you were to take the scriptures literally, and and I realise that when we talk in this context, there are some people who take it literally. And so it says all the people in the whole city gathered. So I did a bit of research. It's just easy. You read it up in Google and Google's always right. But they said at the time that there was approximately 1,800 to 1,500 people in the city of Copernican. And so we want to think about 1,800 people potentially coming to the door. Now, if you're not a literalist, that's cool. Because you can still look and go, the fact that somebody wrote that in means that they wanted to tell you that there was a very large number of people. So if you want to take a literal and go, there was 15 to 1,800, Amen. And if you don't, you just want to go, no, it's poetic license, and they were saying it was a huge crowd. Now, I'm going to ask you the next question for those who don't want to take it literally, that's fine. I'm going to say, if you turned around today, would this be what you would call a huge crowd? Wouldn't be for me either. If you turned around today and said, the whole city's come to church, would would you say that? So at some point you would have to go, it's got to be more than what we're seeing and visualizing today. It was so big that the person went, this was the whole city. It appeared like everybody had come out to see Jesus. Now, I'm not sure about you, but I know how long it takes here with this size auditorium and this size crowd to do an altar call when I go from one side to the other. And I only have to minister to a few people because not everybody comes to the front. But I want you to think now, all the people came out and Jesus was healing all the sick in a city of 1,800 people. That's a lot of people. And so he's praying for them and he's casting out demons. And the Bible says that he was doing this after the sun was set. After the sun was set, the people came up, the whole city came out and Jesus had to pray for them and preach with them and love on them and deliver them and heal them. And I just get the feeling that this took a fairly long time. I don't think he just clicked his fingers. I don't think he walked out and said, be healed and then sat back down. I feel like he was ministering and it was written down for a reason and they wanted us to understand how many people were coming and gathering around Jesus to be healed and delivered. Are you still following me? Because it makes the next verse even more amazing because in Mark 1.35 we read this, Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, having risen A long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place and there he prayed. Let's paint the picture again, you ready? It's a really late night because it's after the sun has set that the people turn up and then rising a long while before daylight, he's already going out to prayer. That's fascinating. I don't know about you, but if I have a late night... I want to have a sleep in. Quiet in this Presbyterian church this morning. (laughs) Just kidding. 
So why did he get up a long while? What was the purpose? Why did the writer of Mark decide to put this in? He could have written about so many other things, but why did he determine to write this? Why did he want us to know that after Jesus had ministered well into the evening, he then was still getting up early in the morning? And how long is a long while for them to write a long while? I mean, was it like just before the sun rose? Because that's not a long while, is it? So a long while before. Why did he think that was important to mention? So here's a couple of thoughts. Perhaps he wanted to mention it so that we would understand that we need to rise and seek God. Not second or third or fourth or fifth in the day, but first. Perhaps he wanted to mention it so that we would understand the importance and prioritize God as being the first person we spend time with in the day and not the second, the third or the fourth. Actually, according to the Jewish tradition, the Shema prayer is prayed between dawn and sunrise. You know that, that golden glow upon the horizon where the sun hasn't quite crested it? If you follow my Facebook, you get to see it all the time because it's literally my favorite time of the morning to be up. Where you're standing and you can see everything because the sun is rising, but it hasn't quite crested the horizon. It is gorgeous. It reminds me every time I stand there that yesterday's troubles are gone and today is a brand new day. It gives me an opportunity to wipe the slate and to say, God, today is your day and I am here to serve not me but you. And I wonder whether Jesus wanted to do the same thing as I wanted to do. No, I'm just kidding. So Jesus went a long time before sunrise and where did he go? To a solitary place. The Greek word for solitary means desolate, or lonely. And so I want you to think about that this morning. A long while before sunrise, Jesus walks to a desolate or a lonely place. Why did he so often go to a lonely place? In fact, it's so often that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John record the fact that Jesus went to a desolate and lonely place. Matthew 14, 23 says, and after he dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. And later that night, he was there alone. Mark 1, 35, now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place and there he prayed. Luke 15, verse 16, but Jesus often withdrew to a lonely places and prayed. Again, I always say, how, how often did he have to do it before the disciples noticed and started to call it often? John 6.15 says, Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and make him, take him by force to make him king, he departed to the mountain by himself alone. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the authors keep writing and they keep telling you something that's incredibly important, that Jesus, the Son of God, often withdrew from people to go and just be with his heavenly Father. Jesus, the Son of God, often withdrew from people. Maybe he just had enough of people. I don't think so. I think there was something more. And so this morning, I want to come to the main event of my sermon that has an illustration. And I want you to give a drum roll, please. Make the noise. Keep going. Keep going. And are you ready? One, two, three. Ta-da! 
Oh, okay. <laughs> no, you didn't need to clap for that. That's fine. That's fine. I got it all on my own. I would like to ask for a volunteer to come up, please, while I show something really important. Oh, yes. Yes, come on up, Ash. <laughs> okay, you will notice in my hand something incredibly important, a sponge. What I would like you to do right now, please, if you can, is to ring into there as much as you can. Go. Try again. There's something wrong. Maybe he's not trying enough. What do you think? Maybe he should double his efforts. Try even harder. Maybe you should really, really try this time instead of just a little bit of trying. How's that? that? <laughs> Says I don't want to break it. That's good. That's good because it's my wife's dishcloth and she'll be really annoyed. Well, it's actually my dishcloth because I do the dishes at home most of the time. <laughs> I'm actually glad they got that one, hey. So, yeah. Did you notice that? Did you see that? I don't know whether you saw it clearly, but, but the truth is, no matter how hard he tries, no matter how much effort he puts in, no matter how much strength he exerts, nothing is coming out of this. Why? Well, there's nothing in it. So now we're going to do something else. Please don't get food colouring on my blue shirt. It takes ages to get out. And I feel like this is, by the way, what so many Christians are trying to do. They're trying to communicate with the world the love of God. I need you to know that he really loves you. And there's nothing that comes out because there's nothing that's in there. You can take a seat. I've got this by myself now. <laughs> Give him a hand. So I get the feeling that one of the reasons Jesus perhaps continually pulled away to go and be with his father was that he might just sit. And so I'm really hoping this works. And soak in his presence. That when he then comes back to the community, he has something to give. And he would go back and just sit and soak so that when he comes back to the people, he could have something to give. And then he would sit, soak, so that when he came back to the people, he had something to Give. Hopefully that doesn't stain. See, Luke 6.45 says, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil. But could I say an empty man out of the empty treasure brings forth nothing? I get the feeling that the reason Jesus would go to be with his father is so that he would have something to bring to the people. The reason he would sit and soak in his presence is so that he would have something to bring to the people. 
And I wonder if part of the reason when we're trying to present the gospel to people, part of the reason our communication falls so short is because we haven't sat in his presence and soaked in his presence and soaked up his love and soaked up his mercy and soaked up his kindness and soaked up his joy and soaked up his peace and soaked up his compassion and soaked up his empathy. And so when it comes to dealing with people, we have nothing but harsh, ugly, religious truth. Church, I have one message this morning and that is to encourage you to spend time to seek first the kingdom of God, to spend time first in his presence. I'm not saying don't communicate with others. I'm saying prioritize communication with your father so that when you go to others, you have something to give them. I'm going to read on. It says, And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And when they found him, they said to him, Everyone is looking for you. But he said to them, let's go to the next town that I may preach there also. Let's go to the next town. See, it's when you spend time in his presence that you get the strength for the next day. It's when you spend time in his presence that you get the direction for the next day. It's when you spend time in his presence that you have something to say for the next day. It's spending time in the presence of God that permits you to have something to give to the community that is so thirsty and hungry for the things of God. And when we lose that, we lose everything. And so I want to say to you, as, as good as last week was when we were bouncing the ball, what I really want to encourage you to do, what I want you to take this away with you this week, is to go, God, am I prioritizing my time with you, first and foremost? Can you imagine what it would be like if you got up every morning and said, God, I just need to spend time in your presence because it's in your presence that I get healed. It's in your presence that you give me something. It's in your presence that you give me your spiritual strength and connection. It's in your presence that you give me healing and teaching. It's in your presence. And so when I then walk into my workday, when my children get up, I have something to give them. When my wife or husband gets up, I have something to give them. When I move into my workplace or my shopping center, I have something to give them because I've spent time being filled with your presence. Communication isn't just outward. And if it's just outward, you dry up really fast. It has to be up and it has to be out. It has to be up and it has to be out. And my prayer is that we might learn as a church continually go back to Him. Can I, can I ask you the challenging question? This is not a hand up moment. When was the last time you spent time in his presence? Don't say today. When was the last time you spent just soaking in his presence? Just sitting in his presence. Letting him love you. Letting him fill you up. Letting him reveal himself to you. How many of us are busy we're busy like Dan <laughs> I loved his communion message this morning we're, we're mowing and we're rushing and we're going to the gym and we're working and we're doing this and we're doing that and, and, and Jesus is just sitting and he's waiting to spend time with us he's waiting to put something in us that we might have something to give to the world 
But we're so busy doing everything else that we don't take time to just sit in his presence. You might be thinking, Bill, that's such a simplistic message. I agree. Having been here now for nearly 20 years, can I say something? We all need to hear that message. (laughs) No, wait, I'll come down for a second. I didn't say you all need to hear it. I said we all need to hear it. Because I don't get to fly around the room. I, I don't get to be the spiritual guru. I get to be a human just like you. In fact, when Jesus came, can I say, He didn't come, He he came as God, but He didn't operate just as God. He came in the flesh, just like you. He got weary, just like you. He got tired, just like you. And just like you, He set us an example to say, hey, if we don't pull back sometimes, spend time with our Heavenly Father, then we have nothing to give the world. So I'm going to pray for you. Father God, I thank you that you would just take these simple moments, these simple truths and press them into our heart. Father, this morning I'm asking that as we go about this week, that you would help us to remember to prioritize you, to spend time with you, to spend time just just soaking in your presence. Day by day, morning by morning, moment by moment, I ask God for those who have been distant and away and perhaps are feeling dry that today, even right now, you would just pour into their life something fresh, something new. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. We hope you enjoyed the service. We are praying for you and we will see you next week.